Are you looking for a new basketball shoe? If so, this is Gary Parrish here to tell you that the New Balance 2-Way V4 features the groundbreaking use of fuel cell technology with fresh foam creating the ultimate combination of rebound and cushioning. Every step feels explosive and dynamic, and the upper construction features a lightweight textile that's supportive and breathable. So whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the 2-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the 2-Way at newbalance.com. Hey there, it's Gary Parrish. It's Tuesday, October 26, 2021. Welcome back to the CBS Sports Ion College Basketball Podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting, dodo birds, and leaky black. Matt Norlander is here with me, and today we are continuing our run through previews of what are typically the seven best conferences in college basketball. We've already done the American, the ACC, and the Big East. Next up, the Big Ten, where I really do think at least four different schools could win the league title. I have six different Big Ten teams in my top 25 and one. That's more than any other league. There are four Big Ten teams in the top eight at Kempom. No other league has more than two in the top 13. So let's start here, dead leg. Two questions. One, is it clear to you that the Big Ten should be the best conference in the country this season? And two, do you believe like I believe, that this will likely be the most competitive conference at the top, like the type of conference where we could theoretically have like three or four co-champions. This will probably be the best league in America for the third year running. It was number one in Kempom's conference ranks in 2020 at the end of 2021. And I expect that to be the case again at the end of 2022, because as we'll talk about on the Big 12 podcast coming later this week, one of the biggest questions with that league is how dominant it can remain year over year. For the Big Ten, I think because it's likely, to get to the second part of your question, it's likely to have the most compelling competitive race at the top with the best teams. That's why it's going to wind up being the best conference in America this season because you have the likes of whatever order you want to put them in. To me, uh, I know Ohio State's in there, but to me, I actually would go Purdue, Michigan, Illinois as the top three Ohio State, you want to put in there four. Um, I would actually jockey Ohio State and Maryland. I think they're fairly close. And then after that, it gets interesting. But from a metric standpoint, uh, as you mentioned, Boilermakers, Wolverines, Fighting Illini, and Buckeyes set up as the four at the top of the conference there. And I think I think that's going to kind of be what dictates a lot of this race here. You know, one of the biggest storylines in this league will be it's got the best bigs and bigs will be best probably uh, in this league and nationally in terms of big men. You know, Dickinson at Michigan, Purdue will have two of them with Zach Eady and Travion Williams. Illinois will obviously have Kofi Coburn. Ohio State will be led by EJ Liddell. Uh, Kyle Young's also a very important big on that lineup as well. So very interested to see how this winds up shaking out. It's hard for me to envision a situation or a scenario in which Purdue, Michigan, and Illinois aren't all those three teams will be in the top four at worst. At worst. I'm not really envisioning, again, barring like, debilitating injuries and et cetera, et cetera. I'm not seeing how Purdue, Michigan, or Illinois, or any of those teams find themselves in the number five spot or worse in the regular season standings when we get to the end of the year. Well, the preseason Ken Palm ratings have uh, Michigan second in the country, Illinois fifth, Purdue sixth, Ohio State eighth, and then after that, a 10-spot drop. So that suggests, at least according to those, that there's a top four and then an everybody else. Um, but I'm... I'm closer to you than I think that. 
I would put Ohio State maybe closer to the Maryland-Michigan State category than the Michigan-Illinois-Purdue category. Um, but, you know, uh, you know, as always, we'll see. I, when we run our conference previews on CBSSports.com, you know, everybody's projected order of finish is there. So it's, you know, me and you and Strong Jong, David Cobb, and whoever else is there. I'm not even sure. I'm not looking at him right now. But um, the truth is at the top, like the top two or three, they're, they're usually, they look the same. If you look at them, right? It's like, mm-hmm. it's like everybody's got Duke all the way across the top. What's interesting about this league is that I haven't seen our tabulated votes yet, but I'm assuming they're not going to look the same across the top. If only because, you know, I've got the top three, Michigan, Purdue, Illinois, in that order. You have it, Purdue, Michigan, Illinois. And then Mike DeCourcy at Sporting News just published his preseason rankings this morning. He's got it, Illinois, Purdue, Michigan. So there's three preseason ratings, me, you, and DeCourcy, and we've got it different, all three of us. And and guess what? Any of us could be right. Any of us could be wrong. There's nothing um, obviously ridiculous about putting those top three teams in literally any order. I guess that's the point I'm making. Yeah, for sure. And I think two of the other biggest headlines going into this season that have to do with these teams, one of them would be Purdue preseason hype. You know, first Final Four for Painter, is that in the works? Uh, they're going to potentially have three of the top 30 players in America. Um, what how will they respond to that and, and play with and play with under that kind of pressure? Michigan and Illinois, these rosters are familiar with that. Purdue had a good season last season, but it wasn't a great team last season. And we will get an early indication uh, relatively early because Purdue is going to play in a really good event early on that I'll actually be at at Mohegan Sun. Uh, on Saturday, November 20th, they are going to play against North Carolina, which should be a, a, just a, a very good matchup for both those teams and a very good test for both those teams. And then, depending on how that game goes, uh, winner or loser will play either Tennessee or Villanova, also preseason top 20, top 25 level teams. So Purdue will have, t- it will likely have in two of its first five games, you know, ranked opponents that can really give us a good gauge overall. Again, I'm super high on Purdue. I'm higher on Purdue than I think anyone in the national media, maybe anyone in the media period, because I think that Purdue can be the second best team in America this season, but they're going to have to prove it. And that's my projection by the time we get to the end of the season. I don't think when we go in and they roll out the balls and, you know, goodness gracious, GP, we're coming up on this, uh, what, two weeks away here. That Purdue's going to be the second-best team in America. I think it's going to grow into that, and I think it's got uh, really, really good potential. For you, I don't want to say that you're skeptical of Purdue. You're just not as in given what they were last season, who they returned. You want to you want to see, like, you know, Jaden Ivey's got a ton of buzz this offseason, so is Zach Eady, but you want to see that materialize once we get to non-conference play. Yeah, I, I'm not skeptical they'll be really good. Um, I'm a... Uh, believer in Matt Painter. I think he's terrific. You realize he's entering year 17 at Purdue? I do. 17, 17 years yeah. at Purdue. Yeah, I know. It's a long time to be in one place. I mean, you know, like we get used to the Bayheims and the Krzyzewskis, but like coaches who are hired at the high major level today, like it's, it's damn near impossible to get to 17 years. Not the same school. No, not many of them. He he goes against something that you've mentioned in the past, which I have never fully agreed with, which is like if you get to year 10, 
and you haven't, you know, made a final four, whatever the criteria is, uh, you should try and get out. I don't think that's always the case. And I think Painter's a really good example of that. He could go on for another 15 years at Purdue and be the greatest coach in, in school history. Uh, but I don't think it's ever going to turn bad for him. Not that it couldn't. I just don't think that it will. And he's an example of how you don't necessarily need to be a, a surefire, automatic, bona fide Hall of Fame coach and last at the power conference level. And you can kind of make that, uh, you can be happy staying happy at a place like that. Um, for sure. Now, I, th- I think first, let me set the record straight. I have never said that th- it's impossible to, to yeah, I last. Know. I know. I just, statistically speaking, after about seven years, um, unless you're a Hall of Fame coach, statistically speaking, it's it, it's going to turn on you at, at some point. Like the, the, There's no denying that, that the, you know, the numbers show that. Um, there was a little time where I felt like Purdue fans were starting to question Matt a little bit. Remember, he came close. I don't know if he ever actually came close to taking – was it the Missouri job? Yeah, something like, wasn't this like a decade ago? Uh, this was like 2011 Final Four, I think. I'm almost positive. It was my first Final Four, and people weren't sure if if Painter was going to wind up leaving. It wasn't Missouri. I remember what you're talking about, but that was like 10 years ago. Yeah. Yeah, I think somebody even reported like it was done, like it was a terrible report, or at least it was an inaccurate report. But like there was a time I, I remember Purdue fans starting to wonder if they could do better. And there was a time where Matt was starting to, at least he was connected to another job, but um, he stayed and it's worked out brilliantly. I, I, I hope I'm sure Purdue fans are understand that um, they're lucky to have him. And I think one of the reasons they, they still have him is because it's his alma mater. I, I think that's a, that's another thing that makes this uh, unique. Like I'm not saying he would never, ever, ever leave for another job, but when it's your alma mater and it is a power conference program with strong basketball traditions then it makes it easier to stay there four-time big 10 coach of the year yeah i know there we go i did one one time nbc coach of the year in his one season at southern illinois that's right that's right he's done he's done a really good job there i think this can really be the year for purdue but it just so happens that purdue's uh lining up here when the league is so damn good and at the top it's really really good including you know what i think one of the other bigger storylines of the season will be. And I really hope that the players, because you know the fans will lean into this, uh, the Michigan-Illinois like emerging rivalry, the, you know, the disputes over who was actually the regular season champion last year because Michigan didn't play a full slate. Illinois believed that it deserved it. Trent Frazier had that handmade Big Ten champion sign that he made at the end of the season. I thought that was awesome. I think that'll be wonderful. And I, I could actually see a situation where Michigan and Illinois might dominate just a little bit more of the local headlines in the conference while Purdue kind of lingers there and uh, and maybe winds up just barely on top. Or we could have a two- or three-way tie atop the standings. But I want to see Michigan and Illinois really give us something to talk about uh, from a rivalry standpoint outside of the outside of the normal stuff. That's what I'd like to see. I, don't, I give the slightest of edges to Michigan, and I mean the slightest of edges. If you're curious, these teams are going to play each other twice. Thankfully, it'll be the first game will be at Illinois on January 14th, and then Michigan will get the return uh, at the end of February. So you'll get two matchups there, which they didn't get a year ago. And it's all about if, you know, Kofi Coburn, we know what he is, preseason All-American, top five player in the country with, you know, a decent chance at that. And then Andre Curbelo expected to be the breakout of all breakouts here. I think I think you might have Walker Kessler as the breakout of all breakouts. I've got Andre Curbelo as the breakout of all breakouts. There, him, Trent Frazier, Demonte Williams, Alfonso Plummer. I like what Illinois has. Yeah, you and I both have Michigan ahead of Illinois. 
Um, again, DeCourcy's got Illinois ahead of Michigan and also ahead of Purdue. He's got Illinois winning uh, the Big Ten. For what it's worth, Ken Palm's got Michigan winning the league by two games. Man, I don't know about that. I think I, I, I don't know about that because I think Michigan's going to have the worst point guard situation of the three. So they're going to win by two games. And not that they're going to have a bad point guard situation. I just like Curbella with Illinois. And I have yet Purdue ultimately in the long run over over Michigan. And Michigan will have good players. Like, don't get me wrong, but that's that's an intriguing one to me. Yeah, to me, this is the the most interesting, at least top three of any power conference. Because I I can, you know, I if you go top three in any other league, I don't know that I put them as close together in terms of uh, a you know uh, potential as I do the top three in, in the Big Ten. Just to circle back to Purdue real quick. Yeah, so they bring back the top eight scores from that team. Trevian Williams is uh, an established college basketball star. Jay Ivey is interesting. NBA, legitimate NBA prospect. Mm-hmm. Preseason All-American. Yeah. Purdue was only one of three schools that had a CBS Sports uh, preseason All-American with Gonzaga and UCLA being the other two. Mm-hmm. I'm just sort of a, let's see it. You know, like let's say you be a great player. You're you're you've had your moments and you are a, a, a great prospect. Can you be a great college basketball player? I think he can, but he hasn't been one yet. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah, I don't think he's gonna be better than Zach Eady. So I think he's going to be really good, but I just want to see it here. Uh I feel like it's shut I don't know. Sometimes we get a couple of players every off season where the hype really, really starts to build, and there's no question Jaden Ivey has been one of those players. Uh, I think it should be more Zach Eady, but we'll see. I think the fact that Matt Painter is going to have, again, this is just my estimation, he will have three of the 30 best players in the sport this season. That's going to lend itself very well with Purdue, whereas Michigan won't have that. Dickinson you know, could be a top-five player. You know, Eli Brooks returns to that team. I don't think he's going to make our top 101. If there's a few players that might make us look silly, maybe Eli Brooks. But, like, they'll have Devontae Jones, transfer. Um, really good player. Going to be on that list. Caleb Houston, probably the best freshman in the league, probably for Michigan. Um, but, again, the point is they won't have – I don't think they'll have the talent at the absolute top to match Purdue. Illinois won't either. It'll have Coburn, which can go head-to-head with anyone in the league, and Curbelo, who I actually think – like, I put Curbelo on my preseason All-American team. I did not put – Jaden Ivey, I think Herbello will be the best point guard in the conference. And then a guy like Trent Frazier, who I had on my top 100 list, he'll be good. But the point is, that's why I went with Purdue ultimately. Because I just think if you went from a trio standpoint, and then they return all their starters, they've got their top eight guys back. That's why I lean there. But the margins are minimal here, and I think there's a very good chance that those three teams, um, at least two of them will wind up tying for the best record in the league. I think I'm on the other side of this from you. I think I think Michigan can match. Uh, Purdue player for player. I mean, Hunter Dixon, preseason All American, just like uh, Trevion Williams. All right. So let's, yes. let's just call them. Let's, they can exit each other would, out. I, Yeah. And I think the difference between those two is minimal. I know most people take Dickinson. I think I barely take Williams. Okay. Then we're going where you want to go next for Purdue. Zach, Zach Eady? I would go Zach Eady. Okay. Well, like Caleb Houston is a McDonald's All American projected lottery pick. Yep. And Zach Eady is going to be a better college basketball player than him this year. He just is. I'm just telling you. Somebody Six. record this and find me in the middle of January. Zach Eady will be better than Caleb Houston this year. Now, Houston will be the better pro prospect. Zach Eady will be the better college Okay, then how about this? Let's compare uh, Caleb Houston to Jaden Ivey. Okay, they're both, both prospects. Both prospects, but Houston's the better prospect. 
Yeah, but I think I... It's a Wayne McDonald's All-American. I, I, not every All-American winds up actually living up to that. I get what you're saying. I'd still take Ivy over Houston, who I do have also in my top 100. Okay. He played it. He played it. He's a reclass, by the way. He was originally in class of 2022, Caleb Houston. Reclassed to 2021. So he sounds young. Still older than I was when I started college. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. So sometimes these reclass guys are really just catch up with your original yes, class guys. for sure. For <laughs> um, sure. But... He's super talented, so talented that he was the only, you ready for this? Played at Montverde. Okay. They went 25-0 and 0 in the COVID-shortened season a couple years ago. They were declared by somebody okay. national champions. Okay. I mean, they, were, they were the best team in the country. He was the only non-senior to start on that team. That's good. Who are the other ones? I don't, don't even trivia time uh, me. Trivia time. Oh, it's a trivia time. You know, you don't get to tell me when it's trivia time. I tell you when it's trivia time. It's a trivia. This is a trivia time. I'm going right to pull now. a GP and just give fake answers when I don't know the, the answers. So Three of his teammates on that Montverde Academy team were lottery picks in the 2021 NBA draft. Name them or lose. Montverde. Oh, man. Um, R.J. Barrett. <laughs> R.J. Barrett is an incorrect answer. He's a. Canadian who's already in the NBA. Oh man. Um Caleb Houston, also Canadian. Man, I'm trying to think who would have gone to Montverde that was in the lottery last year. I don't know. Just, just name lottery picks and just take a shot. Just name some lottery picks. Suggs was not it. Oh, Scotty Barnes. Scotty Barnes. Yeah. NBA career off to a nice start, by the way. Yeah. Um who else would have been on that Montverde team? Maybe just start right at the top of the draft. I like working my way backward, though. Okay. Uh, Evan Mobley was not on Montverde. Oh, that's too far from California. Jalen Green? No. Are you being... I, I just told you, one of them's Kate Cunningham. I'm getting there. Um, Kate Cunningham, Scotty Barnes, and there's one more. What, what conference? If I tell you the conference, you'll get it. Really? How about this? How about this? He was the freshman of the year in his conference. I don't know. Give it to me. His name is taken straight from the Bible. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? Come on. You got me, man. I don't know. Moses Moody. Oh, gosh. Is it Moses in the Bible? Or did they get him out in the updated version? No, he's in the Moses is Mo still in the Bible. <laughs> yeah. That's good. I don't know. You know what? I don't know if I would have gotten Moses Moody. You never know in this era. I would. I mean, <laughs> yeah, everybody's enough. always getting canceled. I, I don't, don't think no. I, take Moses out of the Bible someday. I think you you part the Red Sea. You never get canceled. I think I, I think know. you're in the clear. I don't know. I saw him trying to do something to Doctor Seuss not too long ago. <laughs> you you know Moses can't be too far behind. Fair, fair enough. Fair enough. Good one, man. Uh, how about that, Moses Moody? Okay, there we go. And then and then they got Devontae Jones. All right, so that's yeah. the third, maybe the third best player at could be. Maybe that's a that's a uh, uh, a former Sun Belt Freshman of the Year, the reigning Sun Belt Player of the Year. Yes. Average 19.3 points, 7.2 rebounds. It's a six-one guard averaging 7.2 rebounds. You don't see that every day. No, he was a really good all-around player. And what do you think it's harder to do? Average 7.2 rebounds per game at the Division I level as a six-one guard or part the C. Part the C. No <laughs> hesitation. Think? No hesitation. He picked yeah. Michigan over Memphis, Texas, and Texas Tech. He's good. He is good. No, but let's just see how the jump up happens here. I'm still taking Purdue's top three over Michigan's top three. Not, no hesitation for me.
No and Corbello, you're you're right. When you mentioned him switching to Illinois, obviously. Um everybody does have him, you know, labeled as a breakout guy. And I'm not doubting that that he will be. He only averaged nine point one points last season, but that's because he played on a team with Ayo Tosumu. Like there's only so much you can do, you know? Mm-hmm. Um he did average twelve point seven points in Illinois' final ten games. Mike, and this isn't a concern, um, he's a non shooter. You know, he's got to expand that. It's non-shooter, and sometimes he gets a little too flashy for his own good. But, man, if he unlocks it, forget about it. But I know, he's got to become a better shooter, no doubt about it. But I think he's a really good all-around player. I think Illinois, if it's going to have a weakness, we'll kind of save this for the Illini podcast, um, it is just that. Is how efficient can their offense be, and will it need to be efficient at a high rate if it's going to truly contest and win this league championship? So those are the top three we think in the Big Ten, Purdue, Illinois, and Michigan in some order. We'll turn our attention to the rest of the league here in a second. But first, check this out. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. You've got the H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on those dirt trails and kick up some mud. Or the third-row seating gets your whole family in to experience the thrill together. The dual wireless charging pads make sure that no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead cell phone. Think about those adventurous activities you can do, like me taking a ski trip up with the family, maybe going on a camping expedition, anything and everything. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. So if Michigan, Purdue, and Illinois are most people's projected top three in the Big Ten, uh, the next group of teams probably – starts with Ohio State. They got six of the top eight back from a team that got a number two seed in the NCAA tournament. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, 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 that's a lot. Trivia time. Who'd they lose to? Ohio State? Mm-hmm. Dude. Oral Roberts. There we go. Okay. What are you talking about? I thought I might have been able to catch a nap in here on a Monday. You act like I didn't do 20 minutes of Max Acemas uh, uh, research for the All-American pod last week. Also true. Ohio State, the rare uh, 15 over 2 victim. Uh, but yes, coming off of that, how will they How will they perform? They are going to have E.J. Liddell, preseason All-American. He's their best uh you know, one of the one of those pound for pound guys, just a terrific player, and then he'll play alongside fellow six seven forward Justice Suing, Kyle Young. Those are the big three there, and then Holtman will fill out with shooters around him. Uh, Zed Key, Jamari Wheeler, Seth Towns is injured. I think he's expected to not return until at least um, 
early to mid-December at least. Has he been injured forever? Forever, it, man. It, yeah, it's it, yes. It feels like he's never. I know. Poor guy. I know, and he'll he'll just be a rotation player there. Justin Arns, uh, at one point last season, I think Justin Arns went through like a seven-game stretch where he was making like seventy percent of his three-point attempts. Obviously, that's not sustainable. But can he be one of those really important guys? Ohio State, I think, is the clear number four in this league GP. But I just don't think there's that much separation between Ohio State. And Maryland for me personally, Dante Scott, Eric Ayala, Fats Russell comes in from URI, um, Qutis Wahab. They've got enough there to be the dark horse of this league. I don't think they're good. I'm not saying dark horse to totally win the thing, but if you want the most likely team not in the top four to be number two in the standings and maybe make a little noise there, I think it's clearly, clearly Maryland. So I would go Ohio State four. Maryland five, and then IU six, Michigan State seven. That's how I. That's how I go the top half of the league. Yeah, um, I, I I think Ohio State. If Ohio State's not in the top three, then it's clearly number four for me. Um, again, six of the top eight back from a two seed in the NCAA tournament. You know that that's mm-hmm. that's that's significant. And then they added a transfer from Louisiana Lafayette named Cedric Russell, who averaged seventeen point two points last season. And here's the thing. You know, took 7.3 threes per game and, and made 40% of those. So, you know, if we're going to label Cabello a non-shooter, well, Cedric Russell is a shooter. Mm-hmm. And when you're bringing back everything Ohio State's bringing back and then adding shooting, like that's a pretty good combination. Like I'm not, I'm not certain, and I know I've already said, I think Ohio State's probably closer to Maryland than, than, than Michigan and, and Purdue and Illinois. But as I'm talking through it, like, I'm not, I'm not certain of that. Like, that, Ohio State's going to be good again. You know, and, and, you know, Chris Holtman has coached in six straight NCAA tournaments. I guess I'll just bottom line it this way. He'll be in this seventh straight come March. It would be a stunner if Ohio State wasn't there because at the end, really, like, EJ Liddell's not known as, like, a perimeter shooter, but he took 80 of them last season. He made... 33.8%. So he can do enough there. You know, just assuming is kind of similar. Like they'll, they'll occasionally get out and get theirs. Uh, and we understand Kyle Young's not that kind of player, but they'll play in, in essence, three bigs and then fill them out with shooters around them. I and I think that combination will suit them well enough to where they should have a, have a good enough seating overall. You with me or not? I don't think you're with me on this order though. For So top four, we're kind of in, in lockstep. I got Maryland, then I've got Indiana with Trace Jackson Davis, who I think is going to be... I think Trace Jackson Davis, when we get to the end of the regular season, it's going to be Kofi Coburn wins player of the year in the league. And then Trace and Jackson Davis, I think, will be the number two guy there overall. I think he's going to have it's just an insane stat load. And he's going to take the next step in his game and just be the guy who's going to carry Indiana to the NCAA tournament. He's not the only guy, but I think... Him being buttressed by pit transfer Xavier Johnson, who if he hit, that's what I'm banking on. Xavier Johnson, if he hits with IU with Mike Woodson, another big storyline here is Mike Woodson back at IU. What can he do with with the Hoosiers this season? Race Thompson returns. They get Miller Cop in from Northwestern. Rob Finnessy's back and Christian Lander pop. I like IU right behind Maryland. And then I like Michigan State. We can get to them in a second. But are you, if we're our top four are the same, do you go Terps, Hoosiers, Spartans? Or if not, what order? I went, you know, I went Michigan, Purdue, Illinois, Ohio State, top four, and then Maryland five, Michigan State six, Indiana seven. I do think Indiana is going to be good. I do wish Indiana fans would stop tweeting me that I've ever disparaged Mike Woodson's name. 
Like every time Indiana, it's just wild. Every time Indiana signed a prospect or did anything, you know, for the past however many months, like I got Indiana fans tweeting at me and they're like, oh, but I thought Mike Woodson couldn't recruit every time without exception. And I'm like, I never, <laughs> ever said, wrote, tweeted nothing that Mike Woodson could not recruit. Never said it. In fact, I've never commented on Mike Woodson's ability to, to recruit positively or negatively ever. It's never happened. Never said anything about it. I don't know where this comes from unless they're getting me mixed up with you somebody got, else. You got Mandela affected. That's what happened. They thought, you know what the Mandela effect is, right? I'm unfamiliar. It's where you think something happened, but it never actually happened. Like, uh, the, it stems from Nelson Mandela and whether, and people thought that he was, I believe if he was dead or whatever, but it's like, when I tell you, there was, there was, there was, dead, by the way. I know he is now, but that, at the time, really he did happen. Yes, that must have been. There was, a, there was a, there was a movie in the 1990s that had Shaquille O'Neal in it, oh, no. and he was a genie. What was the name of that movie? I only watch Blue Chips. Okay, <laughs> it was not Blue Chips. Uh, Shazam was it? Shazam. You just Mandela affected your own self. It was not Shazam, but everyone thinks it was Shazam. Okay. It was, well, it was Kazam. But if you oh, if you Google Mandela effect, people will think the name of that movie was Shazam. How about that? I just did it to myself you right now. You just did it to yourself. It's where you're yeah. acting like an Indiana fan, right? There we go. So you have been Mandela affected into the IU fan base. And here's the thing. Once this happens, it's hard to escape. I don't know if you're ever going to be able to outrun this with the IU fan base. They're always going to just accuse you of, of just It's wild. All. I swear to God, I spent about 20 minutes one day going back, trying to look. I was like, did I do something? <laughs> like I went look at like, Cause you know me, I, I don't remember everything. And I was like, I couldn't find any evidence that I've ever, cause I didn't think I'd ever, here's what I did do. I did question whether it was smart to spend all that money to fire Archie Miller, given yeah. what he might've brought back and given the money, you know, and, 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 and given the fact that, you know, they finished, it was not a good team. I'm not trying to lie to you, but they didn't finish terribly in the computer rankings, right? There was some evidence to suggest that maybe if you just do this another year, um, it, it could just flip. I, I did wonder whether it was smart to do that. I'll cop, I'll cop to that. And, and by the way, we still don't know. I mean, we'll see. So far, so good for Mike Woodson. I can acknowledge that, but, but we'll see. But once Mike Woodson was hired, there's not like a Gary Parish column out there blasting the hire or a tweet or anything or questioning whether he can recruit. It just didn't happen. But I swear to God, every I, like I'll hear Indiana's a finalist for some player, and I, and I internally I'm like, man, I hope they don't get that guy. They're coming for you because <laughs> they're coming for me. If they're they coming do. for you. <laughs> That's so, so good. So, so pass this along to the Indiana fans. I have never questioned Mike Woodson's ability to recruit. If somebody did, tweet them. Leave me out of so it. So funny, man. All right, you got them seven. Michigan State, you got ahead. Here's the deal, man. Max Christie is getting a ton of buzz, and because of all this, I mean, I've been told that he should be the best player on that roster. I put him in my top 100. I put him and Gabe Brown in there. Max Christie, Gabe Brown. Then you got Joey Hauser, Malik Hall, Marcus Bingham Jr., Tyson Walker, transfer from Northeastern. They've got enough there. Like, that is... That's got to be a. I think that's got to be a better team than what they wound up being last season. Obviously, it was one of the you know the weaker seasons of the, under the past twenty twenty five years under Tom Izzo. Um, but I'm I I overall I just think I like Indiana's roster a little bit more. If you want to take MSU, I'm not gonna 
I'm not going to go crazy over that. That's I think that's completely reasonable, to be honest, when you consider how long Izzo's been doing it. And Woodson's just stepping into D1 coaching here for the first time. But, man, it's just, if Max Christie, this freshman, is going to be better than Caleb Houston, say, at Michigan, is he going to be the best freshman in the league? How much is that going to matter in a league with a ton of bigs and a ton of veterans? I don't know. I, I'm i intrigued to see how Michigan State does its thing this year because, to be honest, I'm waiting on the Gabe Brown pop to happen. I'm waiting on the Malik Hall pop to happen. I'm waiting on the Marcus Bingham Jr. pop to happen. They just haven't. And Joey Hauser was good, but, like, is he going to be more of what they hoped he would be? And he kind of fell a little bit short last season. So there's just a lot of unanswered questions for MSU for me. Yeah, so either way, we've got the top seven in different orders, but we got the same top seven schools. And then after that, it gets a little bit of a mixed bag. I've got Rutgers eighth. Same. Okay, but did you, uh, like the computers hate Rutgers for some reason. I'm not concerned about the computers. Rutgers is 67th at Ken Palm and 59th at Torvik. That's that's 11th in the Big Ten at Ken Palm and 10th in the Big Ten at Torvik. Meantime, Steve Peichel is publicly stating this is going to be his best team ever. Well, I don't know if we want to take too much stock into that either. I mean, what coach isn't love? What coach doesn't believe that they're going to have their best team, second best team, third best team ever at this time of the year? I mean, it's nothing but optimism and Pollyanna outlooks left and right. Now, Pykele actually, I think, could be correct. But there's a what? There's a difference between saying I really like my team and this will be yes. my best team ever. Coaches don't often say that. True. Got Ron Harper Jr. back. Geo Baker. <laughs> You, Ron Harper Jr., one of the best mean mugs in all of college basketball. We love it, right? I, I love Rutgers. <laughs> okay. I, look, I, I, I love, uh, I, I love that, that, that Steve took a Big Ten job that is considered impossible, but you just can't pass it up if you're him. And, and you know, if, you know, at some point it's like, let's just take the money, you know, and, and, and we'll do our best. And he's turned it into like a respectable basketball. I like Rutgers being respectable in basketball is cool. I like I like that. It's it's a fun plot development for us having to cover the sport around every day around the year. So I I, I do like it. They got Harper, Geo Baker, who just missed out on my top 101 list, but he certainly could prove to be in that group. Uh, Cliff Omarui will be one of the biggest year over year improvements. The Rutgers big man, I think, of any guy in the league. Yes, Rutgers at eight and. I think this is this is about where, like, that's at least an 8-bid league, I think. So this is where we start to get into maybe bubble territory. Maybe Rutgers gets in, but there's a little bit of doubt, you know, the final week of the regular season, whatever. But, man, they got it. They got enough there. Where I've got them 8th, but if you tell me they finished 5th, I'm not going to be surprised. And, you know, maybe these are really the glory days of Rutgers hoops, and we love to see it. I've got, Wis- all right, how about this? I've got Wisconsin 9. Me too. Okay, so we are. Look at us going in lockstep. They got Jonathan Davis, who's their best player. Brad Davison is their most well-known player, perhaps their most infamous player. Um, but I'll go with Wisconsin nine there. I do think this is where it gets soupy, though. GP Wisconsin, Northwestern, Iowa, whatever order. I think Northwestern will actually be a competitive team that gets a couple of wins over top six, top seven teams in the conference this year. Boo booey, boo booey. Chase Audige, Pete Nance back. They've got enough there. Iowa, I, I, I'm a little hesitant to drop them so drastically. But as we mentioned previously on a pod, when you consider everything Iowa lost, 
Yes, we think Keegan Murray will be a top 10 player in this league. Jordan Bohannon does return. It's certainly, if you're an Iowa fan and you want to, you know, kind of put up your dukes here and have a little defense saying, no, really, like, you shouldn't have us worse than eighth. I will listen to you and I'm willing to be wrong, but I just, I I think Iowa's going to firmly be in the NIT conversation. Preseason 23rd at Kimpa. I know, I saw that. That seems high to me. I think some of that is like in the preseason, some of what goes into that formula is how you did the year before, the year before that, and the year before that. And some of that stuff gets, you know, shaved away as we get into the regular season. And I think some of that is playing into right. what Iowa's got. And plus, you know, good offensive team, but man, that's high. That's right. Really high. And, but even Ken would tell you, don't, you know, there's going to be some outliers yeah. in his preseason ratings based on the stuff yeah. that goes into, even he would acknowledge that. Yeah, and Iowa, Iowa looks like one to me. They they do. What about perhaps perhaps the biggest one for sure? Now, if you're a Northwestern fan, just real quick, just one more note on them. Um, you're just looking to get back into the conversation where you're not a non-factor in the league, and I do think that will be the case. And having talked to a few assistants and head coaches in this league over the past couple of months, there is an earnest belief that Northwestern is going to be a problem to face this season. We'll see if that's the case. I put some stock into that, and so I put them a little bit higher in my 1-358 to 358 than I think I otherwise would have, but I put them ahead of the likes of Penn State, Michael Shrewsbury, new coach there. They bring back Miles Dredd, one, maybe the best name in the conference. Seth Lundy, Sam Sessoms, they're all back. We'll see. That's year one. Uh, Nebraska, got Trey McGowan's veteran Cornhusker, and Bryce McGowan's, one of the best freshmen, highly rated recruit coming in. To Nebraska there, they get ASU transfer, Alonzo Verge. Um, I have them second to last in the league, but this, they, I should be wrong. Like, if Fred Hoiberg is the guy, I think they have enough there where they should be better than that, so just go ahead and prove me wrong. And then, univer- I think almost, if not universally, almost universally, Minnesota is the worst team in the league. They hired Ben Johnson, and there is not one player... When I talked to Ben on the road in July, he said he will not have one player on his roster this season earning minutes who earned minutes last season because the one guy who would have, I think it was an ACL tear, he's not going to wind up playing there. So it's just a complete, complete overhaul in Minneapolis. And so the Gophers are universally expected to be a sub-500 team. Yeah, and Nebraska's interesting to me because obviously when you hire Fred Hoiberg, you're expecting, okay, this is a nice combination. Now we're going to, you know, we'll, we'll get back to being respectable pretty quickly. And the truth is in year one, they finished 14th big 10 year two, 14th. And, you know, I've got them picked and most, you know, I've got them picked 12th yeah. in, in, in the league this season. And so, and some people lower. So, I mean, we, we could have a situation here where he's going into, I mean, they're 13th at Ken Palm. We had, could have a situation where Fred Hoiberg's going into year four, having finished last or next to last three straight years. Like at Iowa State, when he got that job, he inherited like a the, not the best situation, and he had it in the NCAA tournament in year two, and then never stopped going until he left for the Chicago Bulls. So, um, I don't know. It's just interesting because I didn't expect it to to take this long to get going. And I guess you can reasonably start to wonder if it's going to get going. I mean, you know, we talked about this on a previous podcast. In the one-time transfer waiver era, 
it's hard to build a team. You know, like, you, once upon a time, you get a job like Nebraska, and you say, okay, we're going to build this, and we're going to get players in our program, and we're going to develop them, and then, you know, boy, in year three, we'll be ready to pop. Well, you can't hold the team together anymore for three straight years. You know, the, guy, the guys who aren't playing for you are leaving you. There is no developing, you know, behind the scenes going on anymore for the most part. I just think it makes these traditionally tough jobs in power conferences with traditionally strong programs, I, I think it makes them even tougher than they've ever been. How about this for you? Nine years ago, 10 years ago, Fred Hoiberg, he was not an exception to a rule, but he was as aggressively looking to get players on the transfer market and turn over his roster at a rate that was, uh, you know, as aggressive as anyone at the power conference level. I think that's a fair statement to make. Fast, oh, sure. for, fast forward 10 years, this is now the environment throughout the power conference structure. So when you consider that, people are playing, uh, people are, are doing this, coaches and staffs are doing this in 2021, the way that he was wanting to do it in 2012 and 2013, okay? He's in the toughest conference. He's at a bottom four job in that conference. It's not surprising, but also, let's be fair, Year one, it was going to be bad. Year two happens to land in the midst of the dumbest pandemic of our lifetimes. And so it's exacerbated the issue. And now the conference is just, the Big Ten hasn't been this good in a very, very long time. Um, But all that being said, uh, if Hoiberg is the guy, then he needs to prove us both wrong. And I'd say at least have Nebraska in the 11 hole. I mean, at least if he's the guy, like at least in the 11 hole, that's not asking too much. We've got him lower and I don't think it's out of, the realm of possibility that he gets him there. But if this is it, I think they've got enough there where you can get there. I'm glad you brought that up uh, about the way he ran the uh, Iowa State program. He was a little bit ahead of his time. I remember right after he got the job, we were on the road somewhere, and I had dinner with Fred and TJ Otzelberger, who was his assistant at the time, now the head coach at Iowa State. And it's the first time I'd ever met Fred. And, you know, if you ever spend any time around him, he's a, he's a really sharp guy. Um, whole family is terrific. I love them all. And I remember him, he was real, because remember, he had never worked on a college campus before or been an assistant coach before. And he was just real, I mean, it was, he was asking a lot of questions. Like, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? What do you think about this? And I remember him, and I don't think he'd mind me saying this, um, um, given that it turned out brilliantly. He said, um, Okay, here's the deal. I've got, you know, I my fans want me to, to our fans want want me to compete with Kansas and Texas, you know, and but I'm not sure I can go out and beat those schools for high school prospects, McDonald's All Americans, unless we got natural ties. Like I just, you know, or unless I just cheat, and I'm not going to do that. So, um, I'm wondering if my best, and I'm paraphrasing here, but this was the gist of the conversation. He was like, I'm wondering if my best opportunity to get players who can compete with them, with their players, is go find transfers, you know, and, and you know, sit, you know we'll, we'll apply for waivers. But we don't get them, we'll sit them out. And I, I, you know, I might not be able to get high school prospects as talented as the high school prospects they get, but maybe I can get transfers that are as talented as the high school prospects they're getting. And maybe that'll be the way to do it. And so he really got in there. And that's how he built that program into something that had real sustained success. You know, in his last four years at Iowa State, they finished top four all four years, third, fourth, third, second. And that's the stretch where Kansas was winning it every year. Mm -hmm. 
So you were one of the best three teams, not named Kansas, four consecutive years. You know, went to a, a Sweet 16, advanced in the NCAA tournament in three of your four years. He really had it had it going there. Um, then he goes off to the NBA. Now he comes back to college, and the world's changed. Because back then, 2012, 13, 14, not everybody was shopping in the transfer market like that. Like, you weren't having to beat Kentucky and um, Kansas and North Carolina and these other programs for transfers. They weren't messing around with these guys. Now you got, now if you want to try to play that same game, you got to beat the big boys. And it makes it just, so think about that. I don't know if I can get high school players recruiting against those schools. Fast forward, can you get transfers recruiting against those schools? The game has changed. And it, again, it just, you know, circling back, it makes it makes these jobs tougher than they've ever been. Agreed. Uh, last question, then we can get out of here. We ran a little long, but it's the Big 12, a Big 10. It's a huge, huge league. Um, on my fifth note, biggest storylines going in. I think this is just one of those deals where it's just going to continue to be one until it ends. Um, yes or no? National title drought. It'll be 22 years long when we get to March of 22. Does it end this year for the Big 10? Yes or no? No, the West Coast Conference is going to end its what national title drought. Okay, so he's going Gonzaga, which means the Big Ten will have the best conference. How about, in- how about this? Let me let me let me put it this way: If you told me I could only take, we're not picking champions, mm-hmm. we're picking leagues. The champion will come from this league. I would take the Big Ten because that's you got more op, you got more darts. That yes, has to be, it has to be the pick because you it's the only league with three of the top ten contenders. So yes, I agree with you. Well, uh, Big 12, Kansas, Texas, Baylor. I've got Baylor outside the top 10, but others will disagree. I know. I would disagree. We'll, we'll get into that on Wednesday's episode, which will preview you, the Big 12. You would think after winning a national championship, maybe Scott Drew could quiet some of his skeptics, but here's dead leg here. Get that Drew family tree ready for Wednesday's episode. <laughs> I, right. I, I used to have that somewhere. I don't know that I have Get it. Get it ready. I'm going to have to go through all my notes. What was that little dog's name? I can't. I can't <laughs> remember. What was the dog? dog's name? What was the dog's name? We'll find it out. I if, you're, the, if you're curious about the Drew family dog, tune into Wednesday's episode. We'll have I it. had the nephews and the nieces. I had it all. I had like the sister's husband. I, I got, got the fa- I got like the family doctor. I threw that on you. You weren't you weren't ready for that one. So. I got a I got a I got boy I got some I got some prep work to do before we get to the Big Twelve. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Ryan Pryor, legend. Shouts to Larnell. Thank you guys for listening. The Ion College Basketball Podcast in the middle of the dumbest pandemic of my lifetime. Not even close. If you're not subscribed, please go subscribe anywhere you subscribe to podcasts, including Apple Podcasts. We'd appreciate it. While you're there, rate it, review it. Five stars, nice comments, and we will talk to you again tomorrow. Till then, take care.